are listening to the Therapy Podcast with your host, Shloimi Balsam. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Therapy Podcast as we continue on our journey through exploration of the unknown orders of the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, version 5R. They're working on a 6th edition. In preparation of uh, my National Clinical Mental Health Care examination, let's go through a whole bunch of disorders in the DSM, differentiate them, uh, know which ones are similar to them, why they're different, what makes this disorder unique. Um, And today I want to take a look at some depressive disorders, beginning with, uh, we have disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, Um, there's also major depressive disorder, Persistent depressive disorder, otherwise known as dysthymia. Premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And this chapter is right before the anxiety disorders because there's a lot of comorbidity and overlap between depression and anxiety. Let's start with DMDD, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Then compare that to the other ones to understand it better. The diagnostic criteria for DMDD is uh, severe recurrent temper outbursts. Uh, verbal rages or physical aggression towards other people or property that are just way out of proportion in intensity and duration to the situation or the provocation to that circumstance. We're also looking for outbursts that are just inconsistent with their developmental level. If it's happening more than three times a week, then we're looking at dysregulation disorder, disruptive mood dysregulation. The way I'm remembering it is that uh, they're acting in a way that's disruptive. If you have this kid in your class and he's getting enraged all the time, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. Uh, maybe he may, it might have some other disorders. So we're going to uh, post it up against a couple of these other guys that might be also disruptive and, 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 and show outbursts and see why it's different. So let's first take a look at bipolar disorder. The central feature that's going to differentiate disruptive mood and bipolar when it comes to children is how long these core symptoms last. With uh, children, just like adults, uh, bipolar 1 and 2 have episodic illness with discrete episodes of of, uh, perturbed mood that make the child different. Not typical child behavior. If a child is having a manic episode, speak to this kid's parents, find out the distinct time period when the child's mood and behavior are different from usual. With bipolar, the mood goes up and swings down and back up. It waxes and wanes. As opposed to in disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, it could wax and wane a little bit, but you have severe irritability as a characteristic of this child throughout. So you're not going to have episodic conditions. It's going to be a consistent anger issue. If a kid ever has a full duration hypomanic or manic episode where he's, you know, irritable or euphoric, then we're not going to give him uh, a a TMDD diagnosis. You also look at uh, elevated or expansive mood and grandiosity, which are bipolar features not found in DMDD. What about oppositional defiant disorder? How could you tell that it, the kid is has disruptive mood and not he's not just oppositional? So the truth is you do have oppositional symptoms with disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, but you don't find too much mood dysregu- dysregulation 
with children with oppositional defined disorder. So yeah, they're both going to have recurrent outbursts and disruption, disrupt, disruption in mood between outbursts. But disruptive mood dysregulation disorder also requires a severe impairment in at least one setting, at home, school, or with friends, and mild to moderate impairment in another setting. So just because someone with disruptive mood disorder can also have symptoms of oppositional defiant disorder, oppositional defiant disorder will not have the symptoms of defiance in those two settings. Well, it's more presented. If there's a child who, you know, in that 15% that has symptoms of both oppositional defiant disorder and disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, then you would give them the diagnosis of disruptive mood, which is more inclusive than just oppositional defiant disorder. I'm beginning to see why therapists use acronyms so much. We have OAD, over acronizing. <laughs> we have to compare DMDD, the disruptive mood, to ADHD or major depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, or autism. The truth is that you can get a comorbid diagnosis of ADHD or major depressive disorder or anxiety disorder together with disruptive mood. We don't put together ADHD with bipolar or ODD but we would with disruptive mood. However, if you have a child who only gets irritated in the context of a major depressive episode or dysthymia, a persistent depressive episode, then they would get the depressive diagnosis, not disruptive mood. What we find with uh, autism spectrum disorder that when their routines are disturbed, they'll also have temper outbursts, but that would just be considered a secondary to the autism and they would not get a second diagnosis of disruptive mood. Next to disruptive mood, we have intermittent explosive disorder. And this is, they're both, you know, severe temper outbursts. The difference is that unlike disruptive mood dysregulation, the intermittent explosive disorder doesn't need persistent disruption in mood between outbursts. So those explosions are intermittent. In between the explosions, the kid is fine. As opposed to disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, there's something dysregulating him throughout, but even between the outbursts, between the explosions. Also, you can diagnose intermittent explosive disorder quicker with only uh, three months of active symptoms, but disruptive mood dysregulation, that in order to prove that it's an ongoing thing, that you need 12 months for the diagnosis. Therefore, a kid should only get one, either intermittent or ex uh, explosive, either intermittent or disruptive mood. So that kind of wraps up our disruptive mood angriness. Uh, moving into something a little more depressing, we have MDD, major depressive disorder. That's when you have a client who has, uh, he feels depressed most of the day, nearly every day. He feels sad, empty, hopeless. It could also um, show up as irritability with children and adolescents. If they start losing pleasure in like all the things that they normally enjoy all the time, if they're losing weight or gaining weight, if there's like a 5% shift in body weight in a month, or if their appetite is increasing or decreasing, um, it also shows up with insomnia or hypersomnia, not enough sleep or too much sleep, psychomotor, psychomotor agitation, and uh, retardation nearly every day where other people can notice 
not just like subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down. If there's a you know, fatigue, a loss of energy every day, a feeling of worthlessness, excessive or inappropriate guilt, it could be delusional. Um, a diminished ability to think or concentrate, being uh, indecisive, and uh, recurring thoughts of death or just fear of dying, uh, recurring suicidal ideation without, without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan for committing suicide. If this is all messing with their social, occupational, or any other important areas of functioning, then we're looking at major depressive disorder. Now, let's compare these to a couple other diagnoses. There's manic episodes with irritable mood or mixed episodes. So major depressive episodes that come with irritability can look a lot like manic episodes if the manic if the mania comes with irritability. So you really have to look at what their manic symptoms look like when they're irritable compared to what they would look like depressed and irritable. You also have to see if this uh, depression is stemming from another medical condition. Uh, we have to see if there's a medication that might be causing the depression or a, a bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder would have uh, a rise and fall in mood, mania to, or hypomania to depression. And um, if someone stops, he has a withdrawal from cocaine, that would also uh, cause a depression, but that would be a diagnosis of cocaine-induced depressive disorder. Uh, ADHD can produce, you know, distractibility and uh, low frustration tolerance, just like in major depressive disorder. And uh, they could get a dual diagnosis. Just make sure we're not tacking on depression when the irritability is getting them down and not uh, a lack of interest or, or depression. There's adjustment disorder that comes with a depressed mood. If someone has a psychosocial stressor and in response they're getting depressed, that can be adjustment disorder, but adjustment disorder would, wouldn't meet the full criteria for major depressive episode. But yeah, they would look very similar. It's a response to a stressor, something that they're having struggle adjusting to. And then you have to realize that maybe they just, they're just they just sad. Uh, being sad is an inherent component, uh, an aspect of being a, a human. So just make sure they actually have five out of nine of those symptoms and that is happening nearly every day for at least two weeks before throwing a, a diagnosis at them. Now to differentiate between major depressive disorder and dysthymia, persistent depressive disorder, persistent has to last two years or more. Now I wanna take a quick look at anxiety disorders which could include separation anxiety disorders, selective mutism, social anxiety disorders, uh, aka social phobia, panic disorder, agoraphobia, fear of the outdoors, general generalized anxiety disorder, and then there's also medical-induced anxiety disorder or some other medical condition that can cause it. So to get start getting a picture, let's look at agoraphobia and what makes it different than the other diagnoses. So while agoraphobia is the fear of open spaces, the outdoors, um, there are other anxieties of specific places. That could be a bridge, an elevator, a dentist, chair. So agoraphobia, they're scared of public transportation, open spaces, enclosed spaces, you know, shops, theaters, cinemas, or standing in line, being outside of home alone. So these other specific situational types of phobia also have specific fear, anxiety inducers. 
So as long as you have two of the agoraphobic situations, that'll pull it out as agoraphobia instead of another specific phobia. If the situation is feared for reasons other than panic-like symptoms or other incapacitating or embarrassing situations like the fear of being directly harmed by the situation itself, like people who are scared of plane crashing, if right, a fear of flying because it might crash. So that'll get a diagnosis of specific phobia more than agoraphobia. Compared to separational, separation anxiety disorder, we look at the cognitive ideation. In separation anxiety disorder, the thoughts are about detachment from specific, a significant other and the home environment, like a parent or some other uh, attachment figure. Whereas in agoraphobia, the focus is on panic-like symptoms or other incapacitating or embarrassing symptoms in the feared situation. It's more looking ahead than looking back at what's missing. Uh, agoraphobia, back-to-back with social anxiety disorder with social phobia, um, that you have to look primarily on the situation that triggers that fear, anxiety, or avoidance with social anxiety disorder. The focus is going to be on the fear of being negatively evaluated. What are they thinking about me? Agoraphobia won't have that concern. Um, Compared to panic disorder, if the client is having panic attacks, then he's going to have panic disorder and not agoraphobia unless he has two or more um, avoidances of one of it has to be two or more uh, agoraphobic situations that he's now avoiding because of his panic attacks. There's also acute stress disorder and PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. They can be differentiated from agoraphobia by examining whether the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is related to situations that remind the individual of a traumatic event. If the fear, anxiety, or avoidance is restricted to trauma reminders, or if the avoidance behaviors don't extend to two or more agoraphobic situations, then he's not going to get agoraphobia as a diagnosis. Compared to major depressive disorder, it could be this client is just not leaving home, not because he's scared of being out. It could just be apathy, a loss of energy, a low self-esteem, anhedonia, just doesn't enjoy things anymore. If it's unrelated to fears of panic-like or other incapacitating or embarrassing symptoms, then he won't get agoraphobia. Now, if someone has a specific phobia and there's a specific situation or circumstance that they're scared of, then you can tell whether it is PTSD, a post-traumatic stress disorder, if this phobia developed after a traumatic event. You could have traumatic events before specific phobia as well, so if the criteria for PTSD aren't met, then it, then the client falls down, falls back into specific phobia. There's also potential for uh, OCD symptoms here with that anxiety uh, of an object or a situation, but it could just be because of his obsession, a fear of blood, uh, because he has obsessive thoughts about contamination from uh, blood-borne pathogens. He could have a fear of driving because of an obsession, uh, he has obsessive images of harming others, etc., etc. If other diagnostic criteria for OCD are met, then he would get OCD instead of specific phobia. Now, you could tell about social anxiety disorder 
a social phobia from general anxiety disorder because even though someone who does have GID um, will be worried in social circumstances, but the focus is more on the ongoing relationships rather than on a fear of negative evaluation. Social phobia is totally focused on what does society think about me and a, a panic ensues from that thought. With GAD, especially uh, children, they may have excessive worries about the quality of their social performance, but these worries also pertain to non-social performances. It's a, it's a general anxiety. These are actually named quite well. Someone with separation anxiety disorder would avoid social settings as well, but not because of what people are thinking of them, but because they're concerned about being separated from attachment figures or a child being scared of being without his parent if, it, if, if he hasn't been uh, developed appropriately in an inappropriate sesh, uh, setting. As long as their attachment figure is there, someone with separation anxiety disorder will be fine in social settings. Selective mutism, um, someone with selective mutism may not speak because they're scared of a negative evaluation, which sounds like social anxiety disorder, but they're not worried about the negative evaluation in social situations when they're not speaking. If they don't need to speak, if it's a nonverbal place situation, they have no issue. If someone has anxiety in social situations, they may also have a, a body dysmorphic disorder um, because they're very preoccupied with some perceived defect or flaw in their physical appearance that other people don't notice. But that preoccupation can destroy their social life and fill it with anxiety and avoidance. And then there's also the possibility of a personality disorder, which we would see some overlap with avoidant personality disorder because they're both avoiding interaction, but people with avoidant personality disorder have a, a broader avoidance pattern than someone with uh, social anxiety disorder. Although they are comorbid and they do get along, uh, go well together. And long shot, you might have a client with schizophrenia, which can also produce social fear and discomfort. If the client has an eating disorder, then you have to determine that maybe that's the, the, the fear of negative evaluation about eating disorder symptoms or behavior. Uh, they'll have uh, purging and vomiting, but that's not the sole source of social anxiety. It could be because of their eating rather than the social component. So to uh, OCD can be associated with social anxiety, but... We're only going to add social anxiety disorder to OCD when the client also has social fears independent of their obsessions and compulsions. All right, I hope you learned something. Definitely picked some stuff here uh, up along the way. Uh, wish me luck on my test. As always, feel free to send me an email at askmetherapy at gmail.com. I'd be, be happy to hear from you. And uh, yeah, stay awesome. Have a wonderful day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. 
all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.